This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to iFanboy Talks Load with writer Rick Remender.
Welcome to another edition of iFanboy Talks Explode. My name is Ron Richards, and this time around we're talking with writer Rick Remender, writer of our favorite comic book, Fear Agent, as well as over at Marvel, the hit comic Uncanny X-Force, the upcoming Venom, and he's winding down his run on Punisher. But also, Rick was the writer of an upcoming video game called Bulletstorm, which had a little bit of controversy this past week in the news, so we thought it was high time we checked back in with Rick, talk about the video game, as well as his upcoming comic work. Got a lot to talk about, so let's just dive right in. So I'm here with uh, writer extraordinaire Rick Remender, writer of comics and multimedia video game world. How are you, Rick? I'm good. I also do um, um, fan fiction in the <laughs> porn world, in the porn industry. Nice, but not, not under R- Rick Remender, right? You have a nom de plume there, don't you? No, no, it's oh. under Rick Remender. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I thought you were doing it under... No, I'm proud of it. Oh, you yeah, are? Nice. <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, it is still fan fiction. I'm not a professional at it. Right. I, sure. I, I'm a, it's a little, a little yellow, you know, but whatever. <laughs> and I mean literally, because it's mostly about urination. <laughs> but it's also a little purple. <laughs> which is but even... Literally, because it's also about, like, the hindquarters, which sometimes has purple coloration. <laughs> We're not even two minutes in. I love it. So, <laughs> so we're here to catch up. It's been a while since we talked about your various projects and thought it was good timing considering that uh, the your, the Bulletstorm, the video game that you worked on, is uh, it's got a little bit of attention recently. So, uh, Pre-release hype, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we've, uh, we're in the, thr- the throes of that right now. <laughs> so uh, before we get to the, the, the thing that we, we probably won't be able to talk that much about, uh, why don't you tell everybody what is Bulletstorm, how did you get involved, what's the basic premise of the game um the people at people can fly which is a uh a satellite company of epic or well, they're owned by epic so they're all sort of tied together um the uh uh developer uh there adrian uh is a fan of fear agent and blackheart billy and some of my other my other word making projects uh and he was putting together this new game. Epic, basically, after these guys had been purchased by Epic and done a few Gears of Wars thing, Epic said, you guys uh, should just make your own game. And so uh, as they were developing this, Adrian was uh, apparently reading the Fear Agent comic book and wanted me to write the game. Um, so I came in, and uh, Adrian you know, was a, a super cool guy. They're Polish. This is, they're, they're in Warsaw. And... Um, uh, he said basically, and I'm not sure if he if he was if it was because he was you know misspeaking or if he meant it. But he said, well, just tell me what you really think because the ideas they had in place were like you know Black Ops Squad goes and does this or you know some prisoners get caught and thrown into here and I, I you know and I said to him bluntly, I said, well, it's, it's shit, you know, like it's 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 shitty, it's really shitty, <laughs> and it was all about like it was about like collecting an armor or something, and I was like, I just don't want to collect an armor, you know, I don't want to. And so, um, and he was like, good, good, that's what I want. Tell me, you know, tell me more. How shit is it? And I'm like, shit, it's totally shit. <laughs> and, and I was, and, and you know, he, so we got to talking about what he liked about pulp science fiction, what I like to talk, and, you know, what I like about it, and the long and the short is we developed um, Bulletstorm, which is just, you know, for fans of Fear Agent, I don't have to explain it too much. It's, it's basically Blackheart Billy meets Fear Agent in terms of, like, tonally what I've done. Um, and it's about a, uh, a space pirate who is a former black, black ops uh, guy, and he was betrayed by his general. And the funny part of this is, as we were developing it, you know, J- Adrian had all these placeholders in for the game characters, and he had he had evil general as the bad guy. 
And uh, and so I, I sat down one night and I wrote a whole new thing up where it's not a general, but it's actually this blah blah blah. blah. And then I got I went right back to it and I was like, you know what? This, let's do a video game. Like, yeah, it's an evil general. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, there's no depth. There's no more. Like, well, who, well, who is that guy? He's a fucking evil evil general. <laughs> and, and so it was just this wild sort of. Um, embracing of every trope and every sort of, uh, you know, archetype. And then it was like, you know, one of the things that Adrian had in there was, uh, he's got a cyborg sidekick. And I was like, you know, oh, I've got to take that out. Everything's got a, you know, metal arm on it. And blah. And then I just went, no, you know, got to put that back in. And so as we, after I, after I shattered it and reformed it, I took some of the things from his outline and put them back in, in terms of the, uh, the, the world. And I think it, it turned out great. Like, there are things I would never have done. Like, I always want the villain to be like, you know, it's a race of interdimensional jellyfish aliens who travel through time manipulating the time stream. And, and in this, it was like, evil general. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's um, interesting that you said that, you know, that the initial stuff he had was shit, and you came in and you gave it your kind of flair. But, like, the fact that you put stuff back in, like, it, it, I mean, and that's the stuff. I mean, you're a writer, you're right, whether you're writing comics or a video game, you're writing regardless. But the fact that you can embrace what works in a video game versus is what what is just cliche in a comic book or whatever it seems really interesting it, it, and I thought you know like look it might it might fail on that end but I thought that was what it was interesting about it you know like the more we talked I, I said look tonally we need to hit Evil Dead 2 there are moments of Evil Dead 2 I'm scared when they're going down the stairs when, when the lady is dancing and the, you know like when, he, when, he, when the hand is crawling around, there's moments that Raimi actually scares you, but it's, it's this campy, ridiculous scenario where it's just like a special effects warehouse in a cabin. Um, and I, I thought that that as sort of the, the tone um, that I wanted to embrace, that mixed with like Big Trouble in Little China, where it was, you know, just the things that, that can, can, can be fun and actually captivating without taking themselves, you know, direly serious and have this, you know, tone, which most video games unfortunately fall into. They're always trying to. They're always trying to like make you really hate the villain. You know, like in, in, he was he killed fifteen orphans with a nuke that he shoved in their asses, and your mission is to go to Russia and find him. Um, and the self seriousness and the melodrama was something that we discarded right away. Um, and, and and to that, if you've read Blackheart Billy, then tonally, and you played Bulletstorm, you'll see a lot of what I'm writing is uh, is that it's that sort of irreverent kind of you know, punk rock, I don't know what, 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 what you would even call it. But uh, so it was fun in that I had a, I had a game developer come to me and they had this like, Hey, we got a like, you know, huge hundred million dollar video game. Do you want to write a bunch of filthy stuff? <laughs> <laughs> did they have the name Bulletstorm going into it or did you name it? They did have Bulletstorm. And, and, and that was the thing that, again, I was like, this needs to be Grindhouse, you yeah. know, like this is just going to have to be, and I know that, you know, Adrian wanted that. He wanted something that was high adventure pulp science fiction. And I can't, I really did push for the B schlock uh, and the filthy sensibility of it all. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't sink the game because right. it definitely has brought about some controversy. Um, well, yeah, well, that's, uh, th and that's the question. I mean, like, and, and it's funny cause we, you know, we posted up an article about some of the controversy and, and we were talking about, you know, like, and it was funny that Josh, our video game guy who wrote it, you know, without any product for me, by the way, was very clear to bring up that you're the guy behind, you know, both, you know, uncanny X-Force and, and last day of American crime, but also triple X zombies and things like right. that, which are very B movie schlock. And it seems that the game pulls in, you know, a, a lot of that in, in, in a fun kind of way, at least from what I can tell. Um, yeah. but it, it seems as if some people didn't, don't quite get the joke. 
for some people. <laughs> so, and for those who aren't in the know, you know, just to give the background, uh, Fox uh, Fox News came out with uh, with uh, some comments about the game, questioning the uh, the violence and the insults and the sexual innuendos in the game, and they brought in a a psych. They said it was the worst game in the world, is what they said. Well, which is since- and they said it will lead to rape. Um, <laughs> So, and I'm not, and I'm not paraphrasing that shit. That is straight up in the article. It says the increase in rapes can be attributed in a large part to playing out of sexual scenes in video games. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it totally makes sense because I'm a rapist. Right. So I mean, I guess that comes across in my writing. Right. So, so now I imagine um, you probably. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I'll leave it up to you whether you want to comment and, and react to anything that Fox has to say about the game or not. You know, I, it, it, what's to say about Fox News? You know, why bother? I, you know, God bless them. I, everybody's got a point of view. Um, you know, I, I hope that nobody who plays Bulletstorm does do the rape. Yeah, I, I hope so too. But so now what I find interesting is so you wake up one day and all of a sudden everyone's talking about Bulletstorm. <laughs> what was that well, day like? Big, I, <laughs> You know, the big PR campaign is coming up, and right. I wrote some commercials that I can't talk about, but they're, uh, they feature a couple of famous guys doing a couple of ridiculous things. Um, so the big ad campaign, you know, they always blast it out the first ten, or the last 10 days before a release. So I think the, the big ad stuff is coming up, and I was getting ready, and, and it was funny, the, uh, the morning of the, interv- uh, the, morning of the, the, the announcement or the morning that, that, that Fox sort of put up their business, I, was, I did an interview with uh, a, a magazine, that was pre-scheduled and it came up and, 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 you know, I popped my mouth off for a while and fortunately they, they, they pulled it all back in cause it was like, why, 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 why stir any controversy up or, you know, take that, take the low road and attack them back or anything, you know, and then who yeah, does it anyway. So yeah, it, it's, it was very interesting to all of a sudden, instead of like have the attention come from the fact that we've got these amazing commercials that I wrote and, uh, uh, and, and got a couple of comedian buddies of mine to, to, to take part in, uh, when I was expecting the attention to come, it came from sort of left field. But you know, I'm glad for it. The game is amazing, and it's going to change. It's going to change video games. It really is. Don't you mean the, the it came from right field? Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, zing! <laughs> oh, and, and good night. Yeah. Now you got to end the interview. That's it. You're out. Thank you. You got to Costanza that shit. <laughs> you got to literally just hang the phone up. Don't you go? Don't you mean from right field? Click, and then just run or just just <laughs> just do your just do your touchdown dance. Yeah, it's like I'm normally the straight guy, so I don't I, I don't often get to do the punchline. No, but no, I, I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad I set you up for it. It was great. So so so, but you really think that this is this is gonna be a big uh, like I mean I'm sure you're proud of the work and everything but you think this is gonna be a major release video game release oh I don't think it's epic I mean you know epic uh, Gears of War is like the best selling thing in the universe um, like you know it's a billion dollar franchise at this point or something and, and nothing they've released there's like you know two game companies in the world that just you know every time they release anything it just is going to do a certain number and, and epic is one of them and here you've got epic partnered with electronic arts you know so no, the uh, the game is already gold and it hasn't come out. Uh, you know, it's it's already sold like whatever that is, two million units or you know, million and a half pre-orders. So, the game's going to be a big deal. You know, and between this and Dead Space, um, my my video game writing career is is going quite well. I've landed on two projects that turned into you know, Dead Space turned into EA's biggest IP, and and Bulletstorm is going to hopefully uh, you know, I don't know if it can match Gears of War, but it's going to get pretty close. So we've. Uh, 
I've been very fortunate in that my, my love of science fiction and comic books landed me both these jobs. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so now, but what's what I find kind of funny, so you're, you're working on the video game and you know, the, the, they, they knew your comic work, but I imagine when you're in Europe and you're there writing in it and you're coming up with some fairly you know, creative you know, terms and, and lines, stuff like that, <laughs> did any of the video game people look at you and just like, what's with the crazy writer? <laughs> or was everybody cool with it? <laughs> everybody was not cool with it at first. Um, but, you know, once I got everybody sold on the space pirate concept and we were building the story, um, Adrian was cool for sure. There were some pe- other people involved that needed to be convinced tonally that, that what I was presenting was, was what they wanted to do. Um, some, and, and Adrian fought with me to, to keep it the way it was. And, you know, it, it fit. It was natural. It, it, in this case, it was like... Um, it was like R rated Bruce Campbell again, kind of you know, uh, referring back to the Evil Dead too. But the character is also a debaucherous space pirate who's an ex you know black ops agent assassin guy. You know he's not a he's not a friendly guy, and I I, I don't want him to just be like Gruff McGrufferson talking like that. But I wanted to you know, which we got Steve Bloom, so we got the Gruff McGrufferson voice. But I wanted him saying like absolutely ridiculous things, you know, like. Um, like there's a scene in the game and I'm not sure how it plays out in the game now, but the lights get cut off from the electricity and the lights come back on and your, your cyborg buddy's standing right in front of you and you go, Oh, he scared the dick off of me. <laughs> and, uh, it was just the idea of getting Steve Bloom this, you know, he did Wolverine on the old X-Men cartoons and, you know, <laughs> and it was very getting Steve Bloom. To, oh, you scared the dick off of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote, you know, there's thousands of things like that. I just tried to make sure any time that there was a lot of cursing that it wasn't just straight ahead cursing, but it was like, you know, right. I've seen shit down here that'll turn your asshole purple. I think that was the first kind of cuckoo line I wrote where they were like, well, what is your, why would your asshole turn purple? And I was like, I don't know, but it's a lot, it's a lot more interesting than like, I've seen shit down here that'll scare the pubes off of your baby's breath McDonald's house or right. whatever. Which actually is pretty good. That's not a bad line. <laughs> write that down there. Baby's breath McDonald's house. <laughs> But so, oh, opium. <laughs> but so, and was there any? I mean, it, the fact that it was the the development was done in Europe and stuff like that. There were no kind of uh, cultural, you know, kind of them not getting. No, they're it. actually way way cooler about it than the Americans. Oh yeah, you know, like cool. Adrian. Yeah, the the, Pol- the the Polish just that that wasn't the issue at all. We just had to make sure that everybody else involved from a top level. Um, was was cool with it, and it took a while. I mean, like you know, and you can obviously understand with that much money going into a game, and then all of a sudden the dialogue starts coming in with you know your assholes turning purple and your dicks blowing off your body, and you get you know dick tits and every other you know kind of crazy stupid thing I'm cooking up. People are going to cock an eyebrow and go, "Well, wait a minute, <laughs> we might have an issue here." Um, but I think that once I had this, enough scripts finished and things were coming together, and people could hear the voice actors to deliver the lines, I think everybody was you know put at ease and, and, and that's what it took. It took it took the first couple of levels coming together with, with dialogue and everybody was like, Oh, it's funny, it works, it's good. And then the tone was set and uh, we move forward. So so one thing I think a lot of um, I know our audience would be curious about is that like so as a you know as a comic writer, you know, you've got the you know twenty two page format or the graphic novel format down and the stuff like that. How does writing for a video game differ? I mean like how many you know how many pages ended up getting generated for the game completely? I mean and how does it, and how does a video game fit into your schedule? I mean like is it the kind of thing where you can do a video game a year or you know like how much of your workload could you know video games be a part of? The, the workload part, you know, what I was doing on this before was days, five days a week, I would uh, do my Marvel work, uh, and then I would have a 
cap time where at like eight o'clock I, I knew I had to be done. And then I was off on bullet storm from eight to midnight or eight to two in the morning or eight to three in the morning or whatever it would be. Um, yeah, last year killed me last year. Was, last year was a motherfucker. Um, because I was also writing the last days of American crime screenplay. Um, the last days of American crime comic book, the fear agent book, Dr. Voodoo Punisher. Why do, why do people say you're a slacker? I mean, you've got this like slacker reputation, <laughs> you know, like, and it just seems like you're always working, but yeah. <laughs> that, that guy needs to work more. I know. Jeez. Everybody, everybody always says about me. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so, but it was, it, it was, as for, you know, you just have to schedule it out and I couldn't turn it down. You know, it was like, again, it wasn't like they were coming to me and going like, Hey, would you really like to write a video game adaptation of the Punisher? And which I probably wouldn't have, you know, like I would have been like, yeah, I'd rather not just don't want to have to kill myself right now. But it was an IP with a blank, with a blank screen that was going to have Epic and people can fly in electronic arts behind it. And they're like, hey, do you want to create a video game <laughs> with 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 the biggest game company in the world? You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, you pretty much have to do that. Um, there's no way you turn that one down. So uh, I did that, and it was hard. And as for you know, if if another one were to come up, it would just be the same thing. I'd have to flip the schedule to the point where. You know, as it is right now, I have three or four hours a day that I take off and hang out with the family, and I would have to sacrifice that to get back in, I guess. And who wants to do that? But so, so in terms of in terms of the workload, I mean, like, is it you know uh, uh, any idea of how many words, or how many pages you actually generate? I mean, just trying to put it into comic book terms, you know, what I mean, like, so people get an, get an idea of how much writing you did for the game. Sure. Because yeah. um, I imagine it's kind of it, you, you write every like, line of dialogue, right? Most of it, yeah. I mean, they had a, uh, a, a there was a sound engineer or somebody who had rewritten some of the chatter lines that the character says and added in things like booyah or whatever. And you know, whatever. There's some things I def- that were, they're a little bro jock that I definitely didn't write, but like 98 <laughs> percent of it is me. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, a lot. You know, it's a five hour campaign or something. I mean, they just dumped the they just dumped their asses into this. Epic doesn't do a new IP unless they're going to do it right, and so. This thing is just, it's like a summer blockbuster. I mean, it's got so much love and money poured into it. Um, and it's long as shit. It's just a huge video game. So I think it was like, you know, you add up five hours of screenplay time. They say it's like a page a minute. So probably generated 500 pages of script. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. And it was, a, it was a lot of work. But, you know, it was also something that, man, it was so nice because it's in my voice. And I got to write, like... You know, if Blackheart Billy, I worked for three years on on what is in that uh, trade paperback, available from IDW in full color for twenty dollars right now. Blackheart Billy, um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I worked so hard on that thing, and I love writing in that voice. And there's not really many opportunities to. I get to do it with Deadpool a little bit. Um, well, for sure, with Deadpool, but this was an opportunity to lean back into that stuff and it was very enjoyable. Cool. Awesome. So, so the, the demo is available on Xbox 360 now, right? And, and although I'm not a gamer, so I don't know these things, but I heard the demos out, people played it, but the game drops on fe- drops. What am I saying? The game comes out on February 22nd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so people should definitely go check that out. And, um, and hopefully it will be a little quieter, at least in terms of the attention, but, uh, but still positive attention. <laughs> Yeah, I think that the reviews have all been terrific, and they're all going to start coming out here pretty soon. And and the game itself is beyond just whatever stupid shit I have people saying, or you know, whatever dumb story stuff I came up with. There's a there's like the most fun game that's that's been created in forever, and people are definitely 
responding to the demo in that in that way. And it is and it is Mar it's M for mature and you and nobody should rape and all those disclaimers that you get out there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if I could get anything across here, don't rape. <laughs> and not and and totally not specific to Bulletstorm and, and not that you even need to respond to this, but I really I mean, I guess it exists in America, but I really want to meet the person who goes and plays a video game and then walks outside and is like, well, I'm just going to go do that. Like, I just don't understand that the gap between, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's sociopaths and, and there's, and there's schizophrenics and there's nut jobs and whatever sets them off will set them off. I fell victim to, you know, pointing at Sarah Palin during the Arizona shootings. And it's the same specious, it's the same disconnected reasoning. And and some level to me, putting a, a target sign on a politician seems like a little heavier uh, 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 implication. Given that what we we're all just really afraid that that kind of that kind of idiocy is going to lead to these sorts of violent acts. But you know, a lot of the time, what we have to come to terms with is that we're, we're there's a herd of humans out there, and like they say, one in a hundred is a sociopath. So you've got one in a hundred out there who feel no emotion except for, uh, you know, gen- they generate to them. Love is making you feel envy or, 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 you know, like ugly, weird, twisted things. And they exist. And whether, you know, they're going to listen to Judas priest and, 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 and pretend, you know, I, yeah. whatever. No, no, I know. Yeah. That is. Oh, Jesus crazy. Okay. Well, let's, let's be, let's talk a little more positive. It's cool. So if everybody check out Bulletstorm, check that out February 22nd. But so back to the comics world, um, uh, we talked re- recently on one of those Marvel press conferences about your upcoming uh, Venom uh, series that's coming out soon. Um, yes. And now I got to ask you, and you can tell me no or whatever. I don't know what you know. So on that press call, the identity of Venom was revealed by your editor Steve Wacker. Was, was that was that a was that planned or was that truly a slip of the tongue on Steve's part? No, that was a Wacker. He Wackered it up. Um, <laughs> Because after, because afterwards we're, because so we're on the press conference and Steve Wacker says the identity of it, and then is like, oh, I had no idea, and I, and I don't know if you saw the or the the post I wrote, but I was like, you know, he slipped and said this whole thing, and that night I'm at we're we're at Bergen Street Comics in Brooklyn, and someone's like, are you sure Marvel didn't just play you? And I was like, oh, those sons of bitches. Like, no, <laughs> I don't think there's any get from that because they had big they had big coverage set up for USA Today and all kinds of things for this week. So, no, and, and you know what? In his defense, Stephen Wacker was being uh, um, he was going to see he had just left a uh, story conference with Dan Slott where they're figuring out a bunch of you know interconnecting things I can't talk about. But so he just spent hours talking about flash this, flash that, and then we started doing it on the phone, and he he let it slip. So, <laughs> you know, as long as everybody in the industry always from here it calls that a whacker henceforth, I think that we'll at least get something good out of it. <laughs> oh, that dude pulled a whacker. I mean, I think that's how that's got to go. It's a true honor to have something like that named after you. So yeah, he should be proud of that. But so 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 now the one thing that I don't think got across in my post or in any of the other coverage from that press conference was the level of interest or excitement that you had talking about about this that, about this comic series is that you, you I mean you sound really excited about it so can you share with everybody like what is it about the Venom concept in this book that's got you so excited well it's you know we don't have a globe trotting and I guess we do in Secret Avengers but um, we don't have a single 007 globe trotting character um, somebody who could one issue be in the Savage Land the next issue be playing poker with 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 Doctor Doom in Latveria and the next issue be in a you know secret villains uh, uh, you know uh, 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 base under the North Pole I like I like the old. 007 stuff and I like that that I like the idea of an international uh, hero 
And I also like that he's not connected in, in, in the same Nick Fury way to a giant shield-like organization. It's grounded in reality. It's the U.S. It's the Army. You know, the armed forces basically... Um, you know, a division of the armed forces has uh, has taken this, and it's no longer because it would just make sense. Like, of course, at some point, just the regular old armed forces is, would weaponize something like this if they had the opportunity. So, what what gets me excited about it beyond just like the the the, the big set pieces that we get to throw up from all the from all the moving around um, is that it all gelled together so well in a character piece. Um, it's it's uh, Flash Thompson who is. Um, you know, the brute, the alpha jock kind of, you know, asshole who was picking on Peter Parker, you know, throughout the, the Spider-Man series forever, who was also conversely the biggest Spider-Man fan, which sort of, you know, always put a <laughs> irked Peter Parker. If you read any of those early, the Spider-Man books, like to have this, you know, the jock bully who's, who's picking on you, be the biggest Spider-Man fan. And you have to sit there and go, that's I'm Spider-Man. You son of a bitch. <laughs> but, um, so the, in the Venom symbiote, for you know what anybody for for what you you know for what people know about that, um, one of the big things is that when you lose your temper, it, it 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 has an end to you. Like you know, the angrier you are, the more it can take hold and take over. So, Flash, who has a temper, has to keep his temper under control while he's wearing this thing, which adds a ticking time bomb element that I like a lot. Um, and then, and then also he can only wear the suit for two days at a time before it starts to permanently bond with him. And then he starts to hulk out and turn back into the tongue flicking venom that we all know. So you, you've got two ticking, two ticking clocks, um, always with this, his temper and, and the time, time limits that he can wear the suit. And then you throw him into a situation and if he has to solve it with that, with, with those things in mind. And, you know, you put somebody in a situation, let's say, in a war-torn Eastern European country where civilians are being gunned down, well, try fighting them and not being angry. You know, like, um, it, it's like fun to write. And so for me, the, the enthusiasm comes from the character. Flash, and I, I'll be totally honest, you know, going in, I was like, ah, oh, Flash Thompson, you know, well, I don't know. Well, I don't want to write the jock. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 this is, but then I started getting into what they've done with the character and how it tied into, um, you know, how it tied into the suit and that flash had lost his legs as a corporal in the army, uh, to save a couple of other, uh, people in his, in his platoon in, in Fallujah. And this happened in a, in a Guggenheim story three years back. And, um, and so when I got into it and I started reading that, I'm like, you know, that's interesting. And so, so now we've got, and it turns out he, he was an alcoholic and he's got a, you know, his father was a drunken cop who just beat him all his life leading to his anger issues. And, you know, like I, it, it, I've written enough alcoholism that I was, uh, I was done with it for a while. Uh, but then this came up and I was like, well, I'm going to do it again. Cause you know what, this is a big part of the character. And for somebody with an addictive personality, who is uh, a person uh, with a disability um, who has had his legs removed in, in service to his country, um, all of a sudden not only being able to, to, to walk again, but to, to dive off of helicopters and to run through you know, the savage land and to swing around the city on webs, um, but then to have to give the suit back up. If you have an addictive personality and you're using the Venom suit, holy shit, that is ripe with possibilities for story. You know, like, um, so all, all these elements that, that were falling in place as I was talking to Dan Slott and, and Stephen Wacker about their plans and what they had kind of seen um, as the setup, the more and more we, we broke it open, the more and more it really naturally fit and perfectly. Like, where, you know, it wasn't, I didn't feel like... Um, I, I don't, I've turned down a lot of jobs recently because I'll, I'll, I'll start digging into them and realize I'll never have that connective point. 
I'll never have that point where I see this specific character working with this specific power in a way where it's like it leads. It, 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 this has got a terrific high concept, um, you know. And so that to me is where the excitement comes from in terms of uh, writing because I, I come up with a high, I come up with a storyline. I have a villain. I have uh, my bullseye, which is going to be Jack O' Lantern, you know, who we're gonna we're gonna try and update and really make him awesome. Which I saw the uh, color the colored page that you posted on Twitter, which looked awesome. Oh, it's so cool! Yeah. yeah, beyond the visuals, I think we got a lot of good hooks with the character that we'll reveal down the line, and um, we got a lot of big crossovers we're talking about right now. Um, two really big ones that'll be just terrific and help sort of solidify the character in the Marvel universe as well as his own little corner. But um, and then obviously beyond all that stuff, it's back with Tony Moore, and um, you know, oddly enough, like Tony and I approached it with a little trepidation. But it turned into, like, this might be our best thing. Like, it's kind of perfect, because it's got monsterism in terms of when, 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 when the suit venoms out. You know, it's got things, this thing, these things that Tony naturally does better than most anyone else. And it's got, um, it's fast action. It's, it's, it's big set pieces. Tony loves backgrounds, and he loves setting scenes. Um, and this thing turned into, like, as we're doing it, you know, I just put the first issue to bed, and it's great. It's really, really fucking good. And then Tony and I were talking, and I'm like, did, did Venom somehow become the thing we were supposed to do? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, yeah, I, I, it was at first just like this fun, this fun thing, and, it, and looking at it, I, I'm, I'm just blown away. It's like, this, is, this might be the best thing we've ever done. It might be a perfect mix of all the things we, we've, we've wanted. So I, I hope that that comes across and people agree. I, I know that the... Uh, um, I know that the sales in the book have been tremendous, so uh, hopefully the reaction uh, to what we've done will also be. Well, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because, in, and and we had ta- and this came up on the press conference as well, is that you know, you know, Venom, Venom is one of those characters. Venom is one of those, you know, the Todd McFarlane connection and the '90s and the the fad yeah. and like, you know, like you know, in the '90s it was the joke: how many books can Wolverine and Venom get into? And right. and you know, and the, the Punisher. Yes, and the Punisher. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and and as far going as far as you know, Venom getting his own miniseries and things like that, you know, and making the you know, lethal protector and all that kind of stuff. You know, and the the you know taking it to the antihero, but but somewhere along the lines, Venom became a joke. And yeah. I think even more so with the way he's been handled in the past couple of years with the Thunderbolts and stuff like that, where just like, oh, you know, like it just didn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, so when they announced that this ongoing series, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I had the same reaction. I was like, really? Another Venom series? Like, how are they going to do this, <laughs> this time? But but I got I to gotta give you credit that I could give, give you guys credit that the I, I really like the the uh, ticking time bomb aspect of it. Um, yeah. And you know, not only in terms of wearing the suit, but also the limitation of how many times he can wear the suit, because then it becomes a, you know, so so do you? I mean, and, and are you going to see situations where they've got to make a decision where okay, we need to deal with this, but we can't use the suit because of that limitation? Oh my God, yeah. And and what happens when Flash and Peter Parker are hanging out? You know, and like, what happens if Venom and Spider Man ever meet issue four? What if? What if? What, what it's it, and, and and what if Peter were ever to find out that it's Flash and what if the suit remembered who Peter was and oh my God drama and it's and the drama like we wouldn't have I wouldn't have done the book at this point in my career I've I've been in, I'm in a in a nice situation where I can turn things down for the first time and I think that I you know Tony and I together wouldn't have done this if we weren't both like it's really fucking good you know like the high concept that Dan and Steve put together on this is really good. And as I got on the uh, on the phone with Dan and, 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 and Wacker and spent days and weeks and weeks and days and 
built it and beat it and tore it down and built it back up, it was all just getting better and better, you know. And and, and so we at that point we have a, you know the utmost confidence of what we're what we're doing. And like you know again that I have no idea what fan reaction will be based on that. You know, like the high concept and the and the limitations of the you know you've got you've got a plot ticking time bomb and that he can only wear the suit for two days before it takes him over. And you've got a character ticking time bomb and like, keep your temper under control. You, you brute jock. Um, so you're really set in a nice place with that stuff. Um, you know, and we also had similar things with Frankencastle where he had to have the pills or else he started to Hulk out and lose his mind. Um, I like setting up limitations for the characters and giving them an Achilles heel that can be exploited that they have to overcome. And, and then the kinds of situations you put them in to overcome their weaknesses sort of define them. Um, so in, in this case, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what people like or don't like. I know that Tony and I are really excited and giving it all we've got. And if you like fear agent, if you like what Tony and I have done on things like Frankencastle or triple X zombies or, um, you know, any of the other, uh, jive we've done together that you'll, you'll like this too. So, so now from, from a behind-the-scenes kind of standpoint, it's interesting because from what I can tell as a guy on the sidelines, you know, watching what goes on, quite often, you know, the uh, guys at, uh, at Marvel tend to fall under editorships, you know. So, like, there's guys, you know, in the, in uh, previously under Axel, but, like, in the X office or, or in the, you know, the kind of Mac side of things, and there's the Avengers office, and there's the Spider-Man stuff. And you, from what I, as far as I know, you've been working mainly with Axel from an editorial standpoint, but now you're working with Wacker in the Spider-Man office. Is it kind of is is it does that change much the way stuffs get done or is everything done pretty much consistently? It doesn't matter what kind of quote unquote office it is. You know, there's differences in everybody's style, um, and it takes a while. Uh, Wacker and I worked together on One Month to Live, which was a personal project to both of us and something that we both put a lot of love into, uh, and, and and very mindful of the fact that it wasn't going to be a sales bonanza, but it was something that we were going to be proud of, which. It's still something that, you know, that it's why I work so hard and why I want to do this. I just want to leave behind good books. Uh, and so does, and so does Wacker. And I think on that project, it was a testing, it was a test for both of us to sort of see how our sensibilities fell in line and how we worked together. And for me, like, I've always respected the shit out of him. And I, you know, he was the, he was one of the, he and, he and Axel's office were the kind of the two offices I wanted to be in. Uh, so I've been chasing Wacker for years. Like that's not an exaggeration. I've been like, "Hey man, we should work together. I like to work with you. Hey, you want to work with me? Hey, look over here." <laughs> and, and like sending him like pitches all the time. I'm like, "Hey, me and Eric Kennedy should do something." Just bugging the shit out of him. And then we, you know, we, we finally did the one month to live together, and uh, and it was a great experience. And I, 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 you know, he really made me write uh, away from my comfort zone and to get into you know a place of. Uh, uh, things that I really like, you know, and philosophical points of view and, 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 and real drama and human conflict on a level that doesn't deal with fists. Um, and I, anytime I would lean to pulp or any of my big idea stuff, he would go, no, ground it. That's not, that's not this. And it, it was, it was, I don't know. I mean, I always gauge my experiences with an editor based on how much I learned from them. And I learned, I learned a, a lot and wrote, wrote something that I'm incredibly proud of that was in a completely different style than anything I'd done prior to that. So, and I, I loved one month to live. I thought that was great. It was, it was one of those things where I didn't quite know what to make of it. And I picked it up on a lark and it just was totally grabbed me. And I thought each issue added to the whole thing and, and there's some great work on that series. And I wish more people actually re will read it, you know, and that hopefully now it's collected. It'll reach to some more, more folks. It was a special one. 
Yeah, I hope so. And you know, it's nice hardcover out there, and, and you know, as well as a trade. So, I know everybody at Marvel was really proud of it, and it was it was uh, you know something that it was not a work for money. You know, we, we I put in five times more time on that developing a, a human story than than I have. You know, I put in an equal amount of time launching you know X Force and Venom, but obviously that'll have more payoff and royalties and stuff if I'm speaking in terms of just finances. Um, but one month to live was something where once Wacker came to me with the high concept and that he wanted, you know, wanted to create this whole thing from ground up. Um, it was an opportunity to see a how we work together and b write something that I was totally uncomfortable with. And as a, uh, you know, we've all had cancer in our family, and without getting into details, you know, I, I have as well. And maybe, you know, maybe not everybody has, but most of us. Have. Right. Yeah. You know, it's if, a reality. It's a reality that we that everyone's got to deal with. Yeah. So. Yeah, and if it's not cancer, we've all lost someone we care for and then dealt with mortality. And and it was nice to get to write about that. Um, but during that process, you know, I I I, I like I like working with Steve. So it was like uh, you know I kept bugging him, and I mean I kept bugging him for anything. I just you know when you get when you find an office that you like, I, I don't mind. It's you know. I don't mind chasing. And so I chased him and he gave me, uh, the, the venom, um, uh, Deadpool venom backups and the what ifs that came out in the last six months. Um, which I think they're collecting in one issue, which was just like, you know, he said, go crazy. And I was like, all right. You, you, you certainly, I read those and you did go crazy. The, I, I went crazy. The, uh, the, I think the, the boy George watcher is the one that got me the, the most. <laughs> <laughs> I still, I think that the thing I got the most mail from was when, um, Peter and the symbiote were, were, um, um, separated and the symbiote, uh, merged to Wade Wilson and Peter was falling to his death um, as Billy Ocean flew flew away in his limousine. <laughs> and Peter said, save me, Lord Mephisto. That was the thing. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the thing that I got, like, a bunch of mail from. But anyway, so I was, you know, I, I, again, um, I, I've worked with tons of great guys at Marvel. Like, I've had a lot of really wonderful experiences, but when it really clicks, you know, I, and, and, as it has in, in Axel's office with Axel and, and Sebastian and, and Jody and, and the guys I've worked with there and now with... Uh, with with Tom and Alejandro and Steve in his office, um, you know, it's incredibly fortunate. Like, I feel like for the first time in my mainstream career, um, I'm where I belong in, in two places. And Janine, Janine, I actually had an interesting conversation with uh, Janine Schaefer when we were in uh, New York this uh, last week for the retreat, where she was mentioning something, uh, and I'm, I'm hopefully not over, overstepping a boundary by revealing the story, but she had a story that was um, from Project Greenlight where a, a lady on there had tattoos on her hands and, and her whole philosophy was if she's ever shaking someone's hand and she feels embarrassed about the tattoos, she's in a place she, should, she doesn't belong. And I liked it. I liked it so much. And it was before my, it was before the first, Janine told me this before the night before we just done the X-Men retreat. And I was the night before I did my first big, you know, Marvel universe full retreat. And, um, and it was like, you know what? It was great because it's so true. You know, like if, if things don't work out in a place and, and you don't fit in, it's because you're not supposed to be there. Um, and, and it was very helpful, but I think in terms of like my, my career and where I'm at at Marvel, I feel like I'm. I found where I belong in in terms of the offices I'm in now. And uh, as a kid who grew up reading Spider-Man and X-Men comic books, it's 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 a treat, you know. And to be able to and Tony and I talk about this all the time, you know. It's like I get to work with Tony and Jerome and guys like Esad and and you know all all. There's so many amazing guys coming up and take these things that were maybe discarded and thought of as as you know refuse of the '90s and turn it into something hopefully badass. And I would much rather be the guy taking that stuff 
and elevating it if I succeed, which, you know, I haven't completely done yet. But if I do, I'd rather be that guy than... Than, than simply just maintaining a title that's already at the top top level and, and getting and, ass. And that's a good segue because you're because you know another you know kind of '90s trope whatever was the X Force and with Uncanny X Force and you're saying you don't know if you succeeded. It was the number one book, it's yeah. top the sales chart. That that that's, well, that's Marvel pushed it very you know I mean true that, but it, but still lot, it, it, there's a lot to be said for a Wolverine book with Marvel. Yeah, but don't, but don't dis, but don't discount the I, I won I, I would have to wonder if it, I mean I, I feel as if it was pushed in the right way because I'd have to wonder if it was an X Force that was X Force has been has has been done before and like honestly they, you know I don't think the last iteration of X Force the you know the gray and the gray and black outfits with the red eyes and the Kill Force stuff right before you came on that was never a number one book so I think it, it definitely had to do with the concept and what you and Jerome brought to the project in addition to Marvel's push to it um, because I mean hey I'm, I'm an ex guy I'm a mutant guy we talked about it I was I was I, I was cautious because I'm you know not the biggest Deadpool fan and all that sort of stuff but the, this this first arc kicked ass I mean like this is X-Force is now the book that we recommend to people as this is the X book you should read that if you don't know anything about the X-Men pick up this one so well, I, that that's it means the world to me, Ron. Sure. It really does. You know, I mean, the, uh, well, there is a, there is a part of you that goes into X Force where you're like, oh, I wanted to write X Men, and I'll be honest, you know, that like when I was pitching for it, I was like, should I hold off and maybe try and get an X X Men book? <laughs> and then and then uh, you know, I was like, what what what? Who gives it's a, who gives a shit? It's five really cool X Men characters. Um, on a team that can have their own base and, and, and be self-contained stories that don't have to be completely interconnected. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm doing my own event stuff coming up with it that don't, doesn't connect to anything. And, and that's kind of a, the beauty of it. Um, it doesn't have to, I don't have to connect with, with what's specifically going on at Utopia or with the rest of the mutants at any one time. I can be off on side missions and, you know, people are like, well, where, you know, what is that first arc fall in continuity? Somebody at the show was asking me, and I was like, oh, I don't know, but it doesn't matter because if you read it from beginning to end, it takes place in, in, in a period of like eight hours, you know? It's not, it's not like just because it took you four months to get all four issues, it didn't take the, the, them four months to, to fight this guy, fly to the moon, fight that guy, and, and end the story. I mean, that was like an eight-hour, you, you know, maybe 12 hours. So the great thing is, is that I can take and, you know, take these characters off the board and go off and do great missions that take place in like over a day or two or three and they're not going to be missed from Utopia while they're doing that. And then they come home and they're like, hey, we just had an adventure. <laughs> we can't talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> totally secret adventure. High five. So, um, yeah, and you know what? If we can do, like, look, I, I'll be honest. Like, my goal is to make the best X-Men comic on the stands, whether it's called X-Force or X, you know, Frankenbeans or X-whatever. You know, like, my goal is to make a X book that blows the shit out of, out of everybody's expectations. Um and I'm a big fan of the X stuff, so it's a treat to get to do it, and it's a treat to get to dig back into these characters and you know that I've been a big fan of forever, and to you know really get to dig into Phantom X and, and Psylocke and all of them, you know, and try and find a way to make. I've got uh, the Deathlock story has a beat at the end I just wrote with Deadpool that I think has so much heart. I felt so good about it, like I wanted to hug Deadpool at the end of it. Like, <laughs> you're you're going to be okay, man. You know, like. <laughs> You know when you when you're connecting with characters like that, that that you know hopefully people will also respond in the same way. And I'm having a real emotional reaction to what we're doing. I'm working with Jerome and Esad, and and you know we've got a couple other big artists I can't talk about coming up for some huge, huge craziness that I can't talk about. Oh man, that's not fair. Um, yeah, so I mean it's 
I, I, and people have been really have been responding incredibly well to it, and it's great, you know, because again, my big fear was that because it's X Force and not X Men, that I was immediately going to be sort of relegated into the B B list with the book. And you know, we've all unfortunately got it, you know, in our heads. Jerome and I and, and, and Tony have talked about this that the inherent craft doesn't matter. What matters is how you fit into continuity. Um, you know, and, and did your book did your book move forward continuity as much as the other book? And it doesn't matter if it was beautifully lettered by Todd Klein, or if it was lettered by a, a buffalo. You know, and like what matters is like, oh, that character lost a leg here, big important issue. Um, you're like, yeah, but it was bad, and they're like, they don't care. They care that character lost leg, character lost leg. Um, <laughs> It's uh, true. You're right. I mean, we've gotten. I mean, that we and that's part of for whatever reason that we've been. You know, I don't know how it happened, but we've been socialized into um, only caring about the books that quote unquote matter. Matter. Yeah. Yeah. You should care about the books that have craft. Yeah. You know, like and that are good. That, the, the good books, and that should. You know, like me saying this to you, probably not going to change much. <laughs> but, but it's you know, and I know I'm. I, you know, we share similar sensibilities, so it was nice anyway to get the long rambling out of the way about your nice compliment. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, so it now nice that people, it was nice that people responded to X-Force this way and mm. um and and hopefully we'll continue to. So so I got to ask you while I got you who's I you know I love the idea that they have their own base. Who was it your idea or Jerome's idea to put up paintings of the other teams? Oh, that was me. Oh. And I got a, yeah, I even got some flack for that cuz I was it was it was seen as potentially being masturbatory, but oh, it was fantastic! That's the, that was the kind of thing that that hit as an X Men fan. That hit the right note for me perfectly because it was like yeah. you know Warren would do that. You know, like this is his life, and you know, like it made total sense. Like oh, yeah, it added great. heart to it. And yeah. We've all read these things. Look, you have to like. Here's the line: you have to find a way to incorporate the continuity in a way that gives it heart and has an emotional resonance that actually has some sort of substance to it. Um, and you have to discount the rest of it, you know. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit around and worry that Betsy's continuity got kind of guffed up for ten years. I'm gonna focus on what works. I'm gonna focus on what I like. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna respect it, and then I'm gonna move forward and tell a story. And I can't, I can't, you know, be slavishly uh, tethered to, you know, thirty years of it. Um, in terms of that stuff, it's like if I show a little bit of uh, of, of Betsy with her brothers. Um, I'm not going to treat that as if it's something that you should just know. I'm going to treat that like, oh, did you know Betsy's brother is Captain Britain and her other brother Jamie is a crazy guy who controls reality? But I wanted to f- follow up on the, the whole character thing because, I, you know, the characterization in story versus whatever. Because the, the X-Force concept of X-Force as, you know, the killing team has been around for a couple of years. And that first and the, sure. my problem with it was that it was, al- it, it was always like, how gritty can we be? And we're going to kill. And right. it just had no depth to it. And yet you're doing the same thing. Thing with this, but it just seems so much deeper, you know. Well, because- we're not killing. We're, I mean, every kill in here, right. like there's what the only kills that we've seen really. Uh, Wolverine kills a bunch of fodder types, uh, the Akabas Society warriors, um, and and this is this is necessary as these guys, as we know, uh, will empower Apocalypse to to do a lot of nasty stuff, and then the and then and then not to give it away, but you know, there's another big kill at the end. Um, and and for me, it's like the same thing with the Punisher. You can go through and count my body count. It's not that high, you know. Like it's not. And, and hopefully, if there is a kill in there, like it's when the Punisher puts a gun to the back of the head of a Firebrand and, and tells him to, to torch his family, and then and then after he torches his family, he brains him. Um, you know, hopefully that when there are, when there are kills, 
by these characters because I keep getting I'm not and I'm sort of a liberal dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> I keep getting all these assignments that that like I'm drawn to strangely that are about murdering. Uh, <laughs> But I guess it's like fun because I get to explore it a little bit. And in terms of these X characters, like you know what? If they're uh, apocalypse is Hitler in terms of what he'd do, much worse. He's cosmic Hitler. And do you go kill cosmic Hitler? Probably. You probably do. If you're Wolverine, if you're a former assassin, and you're like, hey, you know what? Cosmic Hitler's on the moon. We're gonna go kill him. And then I start thinking about and, and one thing that Axel and I did a lot, and Jody and I do now on on, on the new stuff is every single arc. The mandatory thing is that it's not just a kill. But it has to have a kill. Um, you know, are we going to we kill Apocalypse in the first one, or we're going to kill the future in the second one? We're going to, and then some of the other kills are going to blow your mind. But not just a kill, but it has to have an ethical slippery slope where they don't just get there or, or on their way there and go, time to bathe in your blood, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it actually offers up. Um, it's actually something that hopefully offers up some. Uh, some philosophical uh, questions and put them in, in ethic quandaries. Yeah, and I, and I think I think you handled the apocalypse. I mean, it definitely didn't end the way I thought it would. I th- it definitely. I mean, like I was kind of curious how you were gonna, you know, how you know I knew where you were going, but how are you gonna get there with it and what would happen? I didn't see that coming. So, and I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't read it, but. Um, I think um, I probably already did. <laughs> yeah, probably, but still. Um, well, no, no. I think I think because I mean, that's the, that's the thing is like a lot of it, like especially with the with the Venom reveal, and then with the recent you know uh, Human Torch death, and even going back to the Captain America death. You know, I realized like right after the Captain America death, I realized like sometimes like the days of you know oh my God, Darth Vader's Luke's father is are over. Like when we just have to accept that. Like you're gonna you're gonna Unless find you're all, yeah you're, you're gonna find yeah. out what the reveal is all the time, and now it's it's more about. How does how did that story how did that story happen like how did you get to that point you know that's what I'm more sure. interested in yeah and that and that there's a lot of and that's why we all like our DVD commentaries you know in the Criteria Collection where we get to hear you know Francis Ford Coppola's thoughts as he's you know living in the jungle for seven months or whatever or two years I think that the um, you know it's it's interesting to hear people's thought process and we like to know that the writer has a lot of thought put into the story he's making us read not you know making us read I'm not forcing anyone to read anything but I you know I like to know that that, that what I'm reading isn't just somebody who's who's shitting out page after page and and just hacking um, I like to know that there's been that the story was written in advance and reworked and reworked and reworked and then it was cut down like this the first arc was cut down from seven issues to four. Oh really? Every unnecessary thing in there. That fight with Wolverine and Death was an issue. You know, like there was a whole thing inside the base with Osmandius. There was all. Um, there was so much that I that I month by month, Axel and I would just whittle it away whittle it away and if it was unnecessary we did with the first Punisher arc too that Jerome and I did um, and we did this on Frankencastle the first six issues anyway where um, the, the entire outline was written and then it was written and rewritten I'm up to issue 19 right now on X-Force and I've rewritten the outlines like 10 times each for everything up until that point um, I, I, I work like by the time I, I'm done with the amount of work I put into these things I'm making like 25 cents an hour or something <laughs> Um, but you know, it, 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 there's so few people who read comics anymore, and <laughs> we, we're charging we're charging three or four bucks. I gotta feel like, look, like Tony and I talk about this all the time. We want to make sure when you read our comic, you felt like you just read three of somebody else's comic, um, and and that's a lot more work. It means you got to write more story. You got you got to like scrutinize every scene and see what you can cut 
and what you have to keep. And by that point, through that scrutiny, you come back to a place where all that's left is the cream. And if it seems effortless, that means it's not in terms of what you're reading and what's going into it. And, and so when I, when I hear other writers or, or directors or people talk about their craft, I enjoy that a lot too. And, and you're right, the revealed days are, are over. You know, like you're not, you're going to know, you're probably going to know the end of your, uh, of your piece of entertainment through other, other means before you get to it, if, unless you're getting it hot off the presses or watching it, you know, on, on first air. Uh, and, that, and, and that's just the reality. But there is a lot of, you know, if, if the person, you know, like, has a lot of if there's been a lot of thought put into the to the work it's always interesting to hear how they got there yeah exactly so speaking of how we get there where we're going at least so fans of x-force you know what can you tease about the upcoming arc you know we mentioned it's gonna involve deathlock where, where else is it gonna go that you can tell us at least yeah i can talk about that arc for sure we're getting ready to ramp up for that thing i think the first issue comes out in a couple of weeks um um I'm super, super proud of it. We've got it's done now, and uh, the artwork is on par, uh, or if not, Jerome and Assad are both, you know, it's such a treat to work with. I think they're on the same level. Um, they both have, they both, they both are godlike artists. Um, and the idea for this one was something that when, uh, and it goes back to, I had been planning this all the way back to when Jason Aaron uh, did his Deathlock arc in Weapon X. Um, we got on the phone as he was starting to plan that out. And we planned out a two, two stories, his story and then my story. Um, and uh, I didn't know it was going to be an X-Force adventure at that point. I, I, did, I just knew that I, I had this Deathlock story and it, it fit in with the world and a couple of other things. Um, and as it developed, it sort of fit, fit for this book and perfectly kind of came together. But um, so the Deathlock stuff, uh, you know, something that Jason and I are both fans of, and given that this is, you know, it's the Terminator long before the Terminator movies, you know, so people are like, well, that's like the Terminator. You're like, no shit? Yeah. <laughs> Which was in a comic book like 10 years before that, that movie came out, <laughs> you know, like, um, it is like the Terminator, and it's Marvel's Terminator, and it's the Terminator that predates the Terminator. It's like, you know, when people are like, ah, geez, that new god stuff sounds a lot like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, uh, that's because in comics, everything is better first. Um, yeah. And how many how many issues is the arc going to run? I'm, yeah, I'm meandering quite a bit. It's a three issue arc. That's the thing about X Force is all of our arcs are going to be three and four issue arcs, so that there's no there's no fat, there's no middle second act issue where you're like, well, that was a lot of shit. <laughs> you know, I never want you to pay four bucks for a comic with my name on it and go, well, that was unnecessary. The way we've got it planned now is every issue of X-Force up until issue 17, every issue has a giant big beat. So it's all one big story um, from issue 1 to 17, one big story. Um, the Deathlock stuff interconnects very nicely into it all. Um, and uh, the world, obviously. Uh, everything seated in, the, in this story plays a big, big role in the giant, giant event stuff that we've got coming up. Um, and I, beyond just all of that, you need to read this because it's going to be big. It's an incredibly fun story. You've got um, a, a future where um, we, did, we introduce a new character named Father, and Father is the architect of the world. And if you don't know what the world is, the world is a uh, giant city dome structure, um, like a baseball field, that, in, that the uh, Weapon Plus program created to design uh, uh, sentinels and, and, and warriors and, and super soldiers. And uh, the Weapon Plus program is connected to creating Captain America and Nuke and Wolverine and Deadpool and Phantom X and, and Ultimate and 
uh, and all these other really cool characters. And so the world uh, is basically a place where you can hyper-evolve something or, or devolve it if you want, because you can control the stream of time. So if you throw somebody in the world and you want to, you know, see what happens to the growth on their neck, you hyper-evolve time, they, you know, click on the outside, they age quickly, and then you can open it and no time's passed for you, but now they're 80 years old. So long and the short of it is, is it's, it, it, it's it, uh, in Jason Aaron's uh, The List special, uh, Phantom X got a shrink ray. He shrunk the thing down, and now he keeps it in his pocket. Um, so... Uh, uh, I'm just trying to get around the big the beats here without giving anything away. Sure, yeah, um, no, I'm just laughing. I, I love I love a that concept, and I love that Jason Aaron wrote that because whenever he writes wacky stuff, he like he, he, he you know because he's got this you know he Jason he looks the way he looks and he writes you know scalped and all these sort of things. But then when he throws these wacky curveballs, I love it because it's like un, unexpected. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. I mean that and that that stuff like Jason and I really have similar writing styles in our pulp sensibilities in terms of going a little crazy with things. You know, sort of his his ghostwriter arc and my Punisher arc, I feel have a lot in common. Um, but so you know, Jason and I cooked this thing up with the Deathlocks where. Um, you know, uh, my, my, my basic idea was that in the future, somebody uh, launches the Deathlock program to go out and to start killing superhumans and supervillains and then to bring them in and then to turn them into Deathlocks as well. So you slowly begin to acclimate every superhero uh, and supervillain on the planet into the Deathlock program, and now they're easily controlled uh, police force that usher in Utopia. There's no more villains and superheroes fighting. Um, there's no more environmental catastrophes. There's no more anything. There's just an army of Deathlocks that, that police the world and keep it safe. Um, and there's one last resistance fighter, and we don't know who that is, but these Deathlocks, uh, made, you know, made up of Captain America and Spider-Man and Elektra, are sent back from this future to the present to kill Phantom X and to protect the world. And those are their, their objectives. Um, and we slowly reveal why throughout the series um, and uh, have a hell of a lot of fun doing it. Sounds great. Sounds cool. I love the f- the future stuff is always great. That's why I was glad. To, I, I really enjoyed the, the Deathlock story and the Wolverine um, uh, uh, Weapon X storyline. So good to see it continuing here in X-Force. So that's cool. Yeah. And then any of the, yeah. One thing Jason did, uh, in that list issue that he did, the Wolverine, the list was uh, Norman Osborn threw down a file that was about, that it was acquired from the world that just said Project Deathlock, um, and so that was you know he he definitely left a nice trail there for me to put together in this story and and isn't that what this is all about you know like when it comes down to it if your buddies are making really cool stories and you can pick them up and run with them um, that makes comic books so much cooler you know we. Jason and I were talking about the chain of events. Jason, you know, uh, um, Grant Morrison starts this, he starts the world, he starts Phantom X, he starts, you know, X, Y, and Z. Jason takes it and, and does this and this. Uh, tie in Deathlock, tie in, you know, the X characters, and all of a sudden it naturally comes to this really wonderful place by the uh, seventh issue. Cool. Excellent. It's very collaborative, long term collaboration. That's interesting. So. It, 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 it is, you know, and then, and yeah, I, that's what I, that's what I love about the interconnected universe is everybody puts down their egos and works together. And, you know, after issue 17 of X-Force, um, um, there's going to be some things that Jason's taking, picking up from my book. Um, so, you know, we just kind of hand threads back and forth and hopefully interconnect things in a way that feels exciting. Cool. Excellent. Look at you making good comics and playing in continuity. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, so the the other book of over Marvel that you're well known for is Punisher, and and uh, Frank and Castle came, you know came to an end, and now we're currently in the Punisher uh, miniseries. Uh, what is it? It's it's in Cold Blood, or what is it called? In the in, blood. In, in the blood. In the blood. In the yeah, blood. Dealing with it's all family stuff. So yeah. In the blood. You know, yeah. So I, what, I th- what I thought was interesting was that th- it was the, the move from an ongoing to a miniseries format, and it seems as if you know the, the Punisher. Um, you know, you've been working on Punisher for a while, but now, like, is the future of the Punisher and Marvel, at least in the six one six Punisher, going to be in this miniseries format that you know of, at least? There, I, 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 I don't think that it. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do know, but I can't say. Anything. So yeah, <laughs> fair I, enough. <laughs> I know that. Uh, I know that. You know, they do this on books like they did it for Jason Aaron's Ghost Rider. You know, where the, his last his last five issues were their own miniseries. Um, <clears throat> I think the thinking behind this is that it'll help denote that it's the last arc of of a big run. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, in terms of formatting, it, it helps with that. And, it, you know, um, the stuff that Roland Bashi has been turning in, you know, uh, the fourth issue of it comes out in a couple of weeks. And I, I just, I don't know. I mean, at this point, it, people who've been reading the arc are reading it and enjoying it. Um, and if you haven't read it, jumping in now probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Cause it is, again, I tend to write these 25 issue stories. Um, and, and, and in the blood is definitely the last five issues. But I, I will say, if somebody wants to jump right into it, it the art has been like, that. That's been the it, you know the, I, I, I'm enjoying seeing the culmination of uh, with the Henry Henry and, and the Punisher and stuff like that and that storyline. But the art has blown me away from issue to issue. I've just been totally been enjoying it. So yeah, and Roland is is godlike. Roland and Dan Brown together are just crazy good. Um, to, to where like I get tired of saying it. Like it's too good. It's so good that it, it's that people don't know can't understand it. Um, and I don't mean people in general, like I'm some, you know, elitist asshole. I mean, I, I think that he's the kind of good where you have to almost be an artist to appreciate what he's putting in and the difficult the difficult poses and the kind of backgrounds that he's putting together and his his use of spotting blacks and the mood. And um, if you have been reading Light Punisher and you are reading this, um, I'm, I'm, I'm positive you're going to enjoy the ending. It's been something we've been building to since the first arc. Um, it, it, it brings in the Jigsaw Brothers in a way that I, there's so many surprises and big things coming, and it has such an emotional uh, climax at the end. Uh, and we go to a place that I don't think people will expect us to go to, which is important, but it's natural at the same time. And hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll, you know, if nothing else, you could just buy it to look at Roland's artwork because the big fight sequence stuff coming up in issue four and five will. Is well worth the price of admission. And admittedly, the 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 reveal of the uh, of the female uh, antagonist was quite the mindfuck as well. Even for a longtime Punisher fan, you know, like you know, which I, and that's the thing is that I think like even you know, re- yes, it, it ties into a lot of the work that you've been doing on Punisher over the past couple of years. But even as a you know someone just getting back into the Punisher, I still think you can connect with it and enjoy and, and enjoy it. You know, that's why I think this miniseries has been unique in that way. Um, so sure. Well, and if you're not moving the characters forward and doing big things, then you're just sort of, t- you know, I don't know what you're doing. You're just <clears throat> sitting in stagnant water being like, I've been safe with continuity, right. everyone. Exactly. You know, and I, I, would rather, I would rather not be safe with continuity and, and shock people and tell interesting stories that we haven't seen. And that's what I've really tried to do with The Punisher. And um, that's fucking hard. Yeah. So is this, so is this um, miniseries your kind of last uh, swan song on The Punisher, or will you be continuing to work on the character? I will not. This is it. This is it. Uh, yeah, and, and I've I've written the last issue, and 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 
I was uh, uh, <clears throat> I was I was listening to some on Mono Marth while I was writing it, and mm. you know, <laughs> I was like you know, like running around my office, going like, and then in the buildings burning, and Frank picks up the butcher knife, <laughs> you know, and I I, I, I invoke the spirit of the, the nerd gods and uh, <laughs> got high in banana peels and just pounded at the keyboard for you know a couple days, but it. Yeah, the Rollins pages are coming in, and it's great. I'm so so happy with the ending, and I've changed the the, I, I, the last two issues have no Frank captions, which I just was in New York with my editor Sebastian talking about this, and throughout the series I've kept you in Frank's head, you know, um, but with terse bursts of like sort of thought, you know, just quick bursts of what Frank is uh, thinking and his impressions of things. Um, and in the last two issues, I cut them all. I don't think you should know any anything Frank's thinking, and all of a sudden it just turns into this totally different comic book. Oh wow, that's cool, very cool. So, did you enjoy the time of the Punisher? I mean, it was it was a good few years that you had there with the character, and it was definitely a different, you know. Um, I mean, he's an icon of Marvel, you know. Sure, yeah, and I'm I'm crazy proud of what we've done. You know, I think there's maybe two issues or three issues throughout the whole run that I'm not that I'm not entirely thrilled with. Um, you know, but out of out of Geez, if you include the list in the in the annual, um, and you know, was it 21, 26, 27, 28? We did 28 issues, and that doesn't even include my six, seven issues with Fraction on War Journal. Um, just the arc that I put together here is a 28 issue arc, I guess, from beginning to end. Um, I, I mean, goddamn, yeah, I couldn't. I, I'm really proud of it. The stuff Jerome and I did, the stuff that Tan and I did, John Romita Jr., Jason Pearson, Tony Moore, Dan Brereton, Roland Bashi. I mean. <laughs> It's been a real treat. Yeah, I I think that um, if it, you know, if I, I I truly believe if you sit down and read read it from issues one to to the end, you get one big satisfying story. And you know, I know and just talk about an omnibus, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, cool, excellent, awesome. So so that kind of covers some of the Marvel stuff. But then there's uh, the fan favorite, our longtime favorite Fear Agent, which is uh, getting closer and closer to the the dreaded end that none of us want to see happen. <laughs> Well, hopefully it'll be a good end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So how's how's coming? How's the how's wrapping up for your agent coming along? It's it's good. It's on me now. The the you know issue thirty one has been done for months. It's they just held off. They just held it off from from going to the distributors because they wanted thirty two wraps of the two last two issues ship within a couple weeks of each other. Um, the art the art's done for thirty two. Um, I, I've done most of the scripting, but I just can't let it go out the door. I I, I just I, it's just not perfect yet and and so i'm going to be rewriting issue 32 for the next seven or eight years <laughs> as you say do you think it's a little subconscious activity going on there <laughs> just prolonging it like even my wife um uh john lucas and tony moore and and, and everybody uh john john actually uh uh was inking off of um, mike hawthorne's uh um boards and mike would draw it and, and john would blue line it and print it and then tony moore would do all the faces and detail stuff so those guys were doing like a three-way tag team on the art and today uh john and uh, john lucas uh, sent me the last page of the last issue and uh i pulled it out of the box and, and danny got all teary-eyed and i was like i'm the one supposed to be like what are you kidding me she's like it's just that's the end it's you know very alone like it's a comic book. Come on, if it becomes profitable, we'll do more again. We're whores. Yeah, you know? <laughs> totally. So, um, but it's 
<laughs> total horse. Um, but it, it, the the one the, from this story arc, at least that's been going on, the one story that seems that everyone's been talking about is, has been the art, has been the 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 jam fest that's been going on between Tony Moore and Mike Hawthorne and John Lucas, and the, it's been probably some of the some of the strong what's already a strong art book to begin with. It's going out with one of the uh, strongest teams I think of, of the whole series. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I think it's all. It's hard to say. It's so much good stuff. I mean, there was two issues that I inked Tony that are probably the best because I inked them. Um, but the rest <laughs> of the stuff is also kind of pretty good. Um, yeah, no, the, the the book has been, and that's why. I mean, I was talking to Jason about this in New York. You know, scalped, scalped came, it launched like two years after Fear Agent, and and I remember at a certain point when it, when when scalped bypassed Fear Agent and the numbering. I was like, uh, your book launched three years after ours, and, and, and you just caught up. And now, and I realized that we're, we're, I'm still sitting on issue 32, like polishing every single line of dialogue, and and scalped is inching towards you know what 50 or something. I don't know. Um, we, you know, and that has great art too, amazing art. Um, you know, I'm not in any way diminishing that, but um, this is this is it's just been very important to us that every issue of Fear Agent be perfect, or at least what we think is perfect. And so you've got Jerome uh, Opeña and, and Tony Moore and Kieran Dwyer and Mike Hawthorne and John Lucas. Um, and that's the core guys, you know, it's always mostly been Tony and Jerome, but we've had a lot of help from Mike Hawthorne, a lot of help from John Lucas. Kieran Dwyer did, you know, did pencils for a couple issues that Jerome did finishes on. We've had help along the way, but the help has always been A-list, top-notch. Um, and the idea was that, that, you know, we've dedicated our lives to making comics for some stupid reason, and um, we all wanted to have that one series that, if nothing else we do, holds up, that we've got that one series that can be looked back upon as uh, 32 issues of, of spectacular, fun comic books. Oh, yeah, and I think you've done it. I mean, by, by purely by, I mean, the the response we get every time we talk about it and every, when a new issue comes out, it's like, no, don't let this end. So, yeah, so hopefully someday it'll come back. But there's there's gonna, the, the long rumored omnibus is it will be a reality at some point, right, down the line, so people can get their collector itch, uh, itch done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, Dark Horse um, said yes, and then now they say it's back in costing. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, but the idea, yeah. If uh, honestly, uh, I, I'll do whatever it takes to get an omnibus made. There will be an omnibus if you're agent. Excellent. So, is there anything else on your plate, on your desk that you're working on, or is that pretty much? Is it's all pretty now? It's pretty much Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. I mean, how's the movie stuff going? I can. Can you tell us anything about that? Or um, I can't. There's there's cool things happening with the American Crime movie, um, but that yeah, I, I can't. And there's also some new motion on a couple other things, but nothing worth talking about um that stuff is all magic and i think the economy has made everybody very uh, conservative and and uh, so things are slow moving but they uh, they are moving um I, i'd say right now that things moving with you know ahead of the pack would be fear agent and american crime both seem to have some momentum and some good stuff going on but um, no, I mean, if I'm working on anything else, I can't remember it, which probably isn't a good sign. Well, good. Well, hopefully, you know, you get you you can now the bullet storm is done and and you're in a good place at Marvel. You can kind of take some more time to relax a little and not, you know, not slack off as much like you did last year. So. <laughs> yeah. Just as yeah, just uh, we're all we're not quite double shipping X Force, but it's it's gonna like I think every other month we're doing two issues. You know? Oh, it's awesome. X-Fan so, and me is very uh, happy. So. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, and it's all, that, so what I'm basically doing right now is, um, that's why I had to get up to issue 17, so I'm basically, feeding, I'm basically feeding a couple of artists at the same time to keep the book coming out on the schedule, so yeah, no rest, but but hopefully good comics and stuff. Yeah, I did I did kind of, I mean, we're on the phone here, so you can't see me, but when you said you're on issue 17, my eyes kind of bulged a little, because I thought, I didn't think you'd be that far along, it's like Bendis ahead. It's crazy ahead, and it's nice because I'm see I see things in like you know you'll realize in issue six there's a big thing that happens that you don't recognize that it's a big thing until issue nine, and then all of a sudden you go hey that thing in issue six goddamn, um, I've never I've never been this far out, and not just to have like a I have been because I've had rough outlines out like on Punisher and Fear Agent, but I've never been this far out where I've got like fleshed out beaded you know tight outlines that I've reworked with the editor. We've reworked these outlines you know no exaggeration six seven times. So they're locked in, they're tight, they're great, and uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's nice to front load your work that way if you have the time to do it. Sure, totally. So, um, so convention season's coming up. Are you going to be at any cons? I will be at uh, WonderCon. Um, um, I will be at the. Uh, I had to cancel Seattle, unfortunately. It's like my favorite show, so that's a bummer. I think WonderCon is like the only thing that I've committed to. Maybe, maybe, maybe something this summer. Maybe I'm going to Calgary. Yeah, I think I am going. Anyway. All right. So if anybody wants to see you, they need to come to San Francisco. That's basically what they need to do. They need to book their tickets now and come to San Francisco and hang out with Remender. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> in, in your city by the bay. Exactly. It'll be good to welcome you back to San Francisco. So. <laughs> Have, have the parade ready. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rick. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I don't want to take up more of your time, but thank you for coming by and, and talking to us about all the, the, the controversy and the fun comic books. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me on again, Ron. And a big thanks goes out to Rick Remender for giving us some time out of his very busy schedule. Um, if you are a video gamer, definitely check out Bulletstorm. It's going to be up your alley. And for the comic books, definitely check out Uncanny X-Force and Venom. Uh, they both are kicking ass, and Venom looks like it's going to be really good. I know personally I can't wait for it. Uh, so be sure to head over to ifanboy.com to check out all of our other great podcasts as well as all the great writing there. If you have any questions or a creator you'd like to recommend we talk to, shoot us an email at contact at ifanboy.com. And until next time, I'm Ron, and enjoy your comics. Enjoy your comics.